Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. All right, sound speeds. Check, All right. check. Levels are One, good. Two. John, check. Hello, check. Good, Polly. Hello. Oh fuck yes! This is a little bit. This is going a little bit too well so far. Okay. Uh, don't jinx it, Jason. I know. I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, as we as we like to say, and we are now live. Welcome to a nice place to brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. <laughs> and I'm Polly. We'd like to welcome Polly to the uh, to the podcast here for the very first time. Um, Polly should be a stranger to uh, to nobody at this point, as he is uh, he's been a regular on the A Nice Place to Brew webcast um, since early in this year, and we uh, we welcome him and we uh, we look forward to uh, further webcasts and podcasts. We are we're doing a podcast for the first time in uh, in quite a while. And just to partially explain that, we have been busy on, on our weekly uh, webcast, which is available on the YouTube and Facebook. We broadcast every Thursday at 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We've done weekly shows since the beginning of the quarantine, so we've got quite a back catalog. So, um, in addition to our audio back catalog, which is available on your podcasting platform, whether you're listening through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other place, you can also see our webcast every uh, every week live, or you can see our back catalog on our YouTube page. Just type in a nice place to brew, find our little icon with uh, with our three beautiful faces on it, and uh, <laughs> and check us out. We have a very special podcast today that I am really excited about. Uh, we are here today to talk about a very interesting historical event in terms of be, uh, North American beer, um, particularly Midwestern um, uh, beer. It'll be a name that everybody out there is familiar with, Pabst. And we are going to uh, present today the history of the Pabst quote-unquote Blue Ribbon Award, which they have attached to their name for now more than 100 years. And it would be not appropriate for us to introduce a topic of such historical um, significance without our good friend John Bitterman, who's, who's here with us in studio. John Bitterman, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, the, the pleasure is all ours. We're very, we're very, very excited about this. Um, okay, so to, uh, to set that up a little bit, a uh, little bit further, um, Pabst Blue Ribbon, um, which I cannot say without thinking of Frank Booth from uh, from Blue Velvet. And before we close out on, out on today's episode, I do want to reenact that scene because it's just too appropriate. <laughs> I hope you know all the lines because I don't. I'll tell you that. One I right d- now. it's not hard. It's, it's, I mean, it's three <laughs> lines of dialogue. Not... We can write them down for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do we want to just dive right in, or do we want to, f- want to cover some housekeeping stuff, too, if we have but, any? You know, you pretty much covered it. it. Basically, you know, to everybody that has been just paying attention to the audio podcast and wondering where the heck have these guys been, have they gone on hiatus again? Yes, technically, the, the audio podcast has been uh, down for a little bit, but like Jason said, it's because we we tried to put our energies towards uh, the webcast and and doing live broadcast to give people some entertainment during the uh, pandemic nonsense we've been going through. But, you know, this is hopefully the first in a series of uh, new audio podcasts that we're going to be doing to to be able to service that community as well. Well said. Well said. We got a, we got a great topic to present here. And I think it's cool just presenting a, you know, a historical um uh, event like uh, like what we're going to talk about today so i'm actually really excited to hear this story because i don't think i've ever heard it so. oh okay all right well in depth okay all right well we've got we've got a lot of depth here john bitterman of course is a very very knowledgeable on the subject of all things illinois uh, uh illinois beer history how did yeah, how's, yeah, how's that yeah, a good yeah 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 uh, a, a little bit across the whole country. A little bit across the whole if country, of course. I don't know what course. I'm making up as I go along. <laughs> well, 
I'm so impressed because John here has come more prepared than anyone is is ever when uh, when joining us here for a podcast on a nice place to brew. There are three different hardcover books that are here in studio with us. I just I feel like uh, I feel like each of these needs to needs to have a presence. We have the United States beer cans with opening instructions, which has some very um, uh, very old historical beer cans uh, with uh, with Paps Blue Ribbon as, of course, uh, having a presence in. What uh, what do you have there in your hands, John? I have uh, a reprint from uh, beerbooks.com of uh, the Paps Brewery Company, The History of an American Business, uh, originally published in uh, 42, do we look? Uh, it was uh, republished uh, about a decade ago by beerbooks.com, along with another series of, uh, of older beer books. And then I have... Uh, uh, Maureen Oogle's uh, Ambitious Brew, The Story of a American Beer, which is an incredible book in and of itself. I think this is about an eight or ten year old book as well. It covers the history of uh, the breweries and the country in general, and it's, uh, it's another very good book. There's a lot of good history books out there if you're after them for about individual breweries or about just beer history in general in the country. That's awesome. Back so, to it. I think, uh, you know, I think I speak for the beer drink the craft beer drinking world when i say the hell world's fair did germany not show up and you know it's <laughs> <laughs> this, you know what this this really this really is a perfect point to start off on and that was a question that i that i had for uh had for john and uh maybe maybe we'll set this up a little bit more but i do have um i i that's a question that keeps recurring in my own brain as to what the competition was for this blue ribbon award. But let's let's maybe step back for a second. Let's kind of let's kind of set the stage. The uh the blue ribbon award that Paps Blue Ribbon claims um dates back to the Chicago World's Fair dated in 1893. Is that the I have the year yes. right? Yep. All right. Okay. So, interestingly enough, I found this in my research that Pabst uh, Brewing Company had been using the Blue Ribbon acronym on their packaging dating back to 1882. So do the math on that. That's a whole 11 years before the World's Fair and before they had won any... I'm trying not to say won any award because that may or may not be true, but at least a widely recognized Major, award. There you widely recognized, yeah. Before it had won a wide... A major, widely recognized award. Yes. Yeah, they had uh, had won awards at uh, other fairs, uh, some international and some not. But the thing with the Columbian Exposition was that the size and scope was the size and scope of what it it was and what it represented. Uh, it was the dawn of a new era. Uh, in many ways, it showed the rebirth of Chicago. Uh, you were four hundred years past uh, Columbus's landing here. It was the United States' chance to show and shine. And it uh, was the largest uh, World's Fair that had ever been held up until that point of time. So uh, when they naturally came out on top, and there really was no blue ribbon in, per se, uh, when they came out on top, it uh, they used it to their marketing advantage and switched the name from Select to Blue Ribbon. Yes. Yeah, that's another fact that I, that I found out. Um, the brewery that we know as Paps Blue Ribbon was was originally known as Best Select, and it was founded in the uh, 1800s by Jacob Best. Um, Best ran the company up until his retirement, and then he turned the company over to his son-in-law, whose name was Johann Gottlieb Friedrich Papst. And the company changed its name to Paps Brewing Company after the uh, son-in-law had uh, had taken over the business. This, of course, was before the 1882 date that we talked about earlier, when the company started using the blue ribbon, um, the blue ribbon name on its uh, on its packaging. So let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the World's Fair uh, in a little bit more detail. And if anybody has interest in this. There is a very, very famous book on the subject that's been published within the last 20 years. It's, it should be known to many people out there. It's called The Devil in the White City. Um, it's kind of two books in one, as, um, as John and I were talking before the broadcast. It is uh, 50% history of the Chicago World's Fair and 50% history of America's first serial killer, H.H. H. Holmes. And it's built a following based on really kind of both those uh, both those followings because it's pulled in kind of two different uh, two different crowds and they both have caught on uh, caught on to that book 
One thing I did not know until we were just talking earlier is the Chicago World's Fair is only one example of what they coined as the World's Fair during that time. John, can you talk a little bit about some other some other World's Fairs, you know, what the what the takeaway with those were and, and just kind of some of the lead up to the to the Chicago one? Uh, World's Fairs were generally an opportunity for uh, the world uh, to come together and uh, demonstrate the progresses that were being made individually in each company, uh, boast about their businesses, uh, their uh, culture and things of that nature. Uh, Philadelphia had was the one we were, I was thinking about it earlier. Philadelphia was the 1876 one. Uh, Paris, the Eiffel Tower was built for the one in Paris. Uh, there was one in Buffalo, New York, uh, and then Chicago came along, and I'm sure there were a few in there in Antwerp and some other European cities. It was basically European and uh, America's chance to uh, show what it was because most of it had been held in Europe, and all of a sudden one pops up in America, and uh, people started to take notice, especially after the 1876 Philadelphia exhibit, that uh, America had come into its own. It was no longer the backwoods country that uh, a lot of the Europeans had thought about it as being because we were such a young country, but we had surpassed all of the uh, European nations in uh in their ability to do things and then along come the uh, 1893 columbian exposition uh it i i've read someplace and i can't remember something like 20 percent of the world's population showed up in chicago over the course of that period of time to come and see uh, the white city uh and it was the white city because it was all lit up it was it was Nobody had ever seen anything like that before because it was lit like nothing had ever been lit before. The buildings were gorgeously lit. They were white. And uh, just miles and miles of uh, exhibits from all over the world. Uh, uh, you had camels on the Midway, which is the area, the Midway Palace wow. sense. Uh, you had Inuit Indians. You had uh, just uh, Aborigines were there. It, it was it was truly the largest exhibit of, of anything that the world had ever seen before. More countries showed up, more businesses bought things to exhibit. Uh, I, I can't say for sure. I, 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 it was, I think uh, International Harvester was the, had the Reaper there. Uh, Cracker Jack showed up there. It was the first introduction to Cracker Jack and, and all sorts of oddball things like that. Uh, it was a lot of place for uh, for business to come together and show their newest innovations. And there, of course, there was always competitions held for the best this and the best that, as you get with any fair, even state and county fairs, you get the best ear of corn and you get the best. But they were judging the best businesses and the best products that were available from businesses as opposed to something more uh, economic, more ergonomically or agriculturally significant. Right. That number is worth repeating that an estimated 20% of the world's population made it made their way to Chicago to participate to some degree in the World's Fair. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it uh, it really showcased what Chicago had been considering that just a mere 20 years earlier, the city had burned itself to the ground for all practical purposes. Chicago Fire was 1871 and you're only 20 years past that and the city had risen the way it had. Uh, and I think that's part of what was the big draw for people is the word got out. And it was really more than one year. It actually uh, opened uh, in 1893 and it rolled itself into 1894 because of its immense popularity. That. Yeah, the actual duration of the World's Fair was like four to six months, wasn't it? No, it, 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 I, I, it opened in the spring of 83 and they were going to have a large closing in 1884, in 1894 rather, 1893 and, and 1894. But just before the large closing ceremony, uh, I want to say it was... The mayor of Chicago was assassinated, and so the very last day of the fair was going to be Chicago Day. And it was supposed to be, I want to say, October of 1894, uh, but the mayor had been assassinated just days earlier, and so the fair simply just ceased. It, it's like they were going to have a huge Chicago Day to celebrate Chicago, and it never had that happen. Wow. And then— Wow. What was uh? Do you happen to know the population of the world at that time? No, I'm sorry. I, I was just kind of curious about that here. Twenty percent. Yeah, I'm trying to do I, the I, math I, in my I, head. I, you know? I, 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 I want you. You could have to go Google that, but it, you would if anybody goes and checks to see what the attendance of, of the World's Fair was versus the population. It was an immense number of people. Oh, I can believe that made their way there. It's 2020. We can figure this out. Absurd. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Google. I'm working on it. What was the world's population in 1893? <laughs> uh, 
I beat you to yeah, it. No, no, you didn't, because 1.5 to 1.7 What was the world billion. population in 1910? 1,777M. According to some information I found on Wikipedia. No, Google 1. was 1.6 to 1.7 billion. Was that the number you yeah. had, George? Yeah, and so 20% of that so is so, a lot. So somebody, so, somebody, somebody Google how many... Somebody Google... Somebody, and the, Somebody Google how many the estimated number of attendees for the World's Fair. Well, twenty so, percent. Do the math on that. It's three hundred and forty million people yeah. throughout the course of six months. Yeah, yeah, six or eight months, yeah. or however it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it, yeah, it, it, I it's mean, really I could, is incredible. I could, be, I could be wrong, but somebody check, somebody check that and see if it was that high. But it was when I first saw it or heard it. I was like, that's just insane. That it that really many is. People drag themselves to the city of Chicago. Well, especially, especially because we don't have, you know, we didn't have the modern, you know, modes of transportation that we know now. No. You know, planes, you know, was not, was not a thing, at least, you know, on a commercial level. No, you know, everything was by boat and <laughs> boat and railways. Yeah, yeah. Automobiles hadn't even inv- been invented at that point. Wow. Okay. So that makes that number e- just even more incredible. So total visitors, according to the yeah. 100% legit, not to be questioned source of Wikipedia, is 20, 27.3 million. <laughs> and to put a finer point on what you just talked about with the with the city trying to destroy itself, the Great Chicago Fire, started by Mrs. O'Leary's cow, was only in 1871. So that's sure. 20 years <laughs> earlier. Yeah. So, I mean, they went from... That really is. Yeah, incredible. they went from that to hosting one of the biggest events in. I I, I, in I was going to say at that really. point, yeah, at that probably point. world up history. Up that point yeah, time, it probably was. Yeah, yeah, it was probably the largest event in world history up until that point. In time. Yeah, and so what? What was that percent there? Did anybody go back and think about that percent? How many? Did you uh, say? I said twenty-seven point three million. Of Jason, you're the math guy. Which 1. becomes about billion. two two percent. Yeah, 2%, that, okay. that comes out to about two okay, percent. Yeah, I, I, I'm off by one one number there, but that's still an immense. <laughs> I mean, that's still an immense number of people. It absolutely it is, yes. to to drag themselves to one location in any at any time, especially in that era. Yeah, but when yeah. you're right, when the only way you could get there is 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 boat, Ooh. train, or your horse, riding your horse, horse there. You're, you're riding your horse there. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about beer, shall we? We've covered this. We've honestly, we I think we hit the history very well. well I was gonna say another real quick statistic. If you want to talk about, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll set that up again. Right. Go ahead, George. You want to talk about real, uh, um, you know, one day, the opening day on October 9th of eighteen ninety three was seven hundred and fifty one thousand people, just in that one day. That's over half a million. And then. It's over half a million people showed on up on one, one day. day. Yeah, and then yeah. you know after that, then you get up to the twenty-seven million. After that, that's just crazy. Yeah, In- incredible. Yeah. Let's talk about beer, shall yeah. we? Okay. All right. So, John, set the up? stage for us. What was the at the oh, World's yeah, Fair? Yeah, what was the here. beer judging yeah, like? Yeah. Hold on. Let me get you a can. Uh. The, Sorry. The judges were supposed to judge on a set group of things: uh, purity, uh, clarity, uh, uh, very technical things. Very technical things the judges were supposed to set themselves as judging on. But when the judges got there and started doing the judging, they they went rogue to say they decided they were going to judge on what they thought they were, was important, and they they threw out the. Uh, the exposition rules, because the exposition rules didn't just apply to beer. The exposition rules for judging were set up by the exposition commissioners for individual categories, and it were supposed to have been applied so that it was fair. And the first thing the judges decided they wanted to do was give points for what uh, industry so, so importance. Industry importance. I think it's what they is. Yeah, which they made up on their own. Which they made up on their own. That yeah. was the first rogue thing they did. The set criteria was supposed to be. To be judged on color, purity, and flavor. Okay. Uh, one of the first things they did was decide they were going to start handing out points based on importance of the in the industry. And so they promptly <laughs> gave uh, Anheuser-Busch 20 points and Pabst 20 points and Schlitz 20 points because they were the three largest brewers in America at the time. Well, needless to say, the uh, smaller brewers objected vehemently. The foreign brewers objected vehemently. And automatically, before they got into judging any of the actual criteria, 
a minor fight ensued over the judge's failure to follow the rules they were wow. given. Uh, it just kind of spun out of control from there in the ensuing months. Uh, ultimately, the point that uh, claims were made falsely by Pabst and uh, Anheuser-Busch about illegal judging, the, they went back. Uh, some of the smaller brewers tried to bribe some of the judges to change their scores and opinions. Uh, ultimately, it was a chemical analysis that almost shifted the entire situation to why it was Paps that came out on tap of uh, Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser, uh, which, oddly enough, is what it was supposed to have been about anyway, was purity, clarity, and taste. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so even though they handed out 20 points to three brewers because they were industrially important, uh, those 20 points ended up being moot uh, in the end because the ultimate decision maker was uh, a chemical analysis that proved that, in fact, oddly enough, Paps' spear was chemically superior to against what standard though i mean like what what was their benchmark for quote chemically pure beer i have no idea i would imagine it's probably they're using the same standards that uh we use now in the sense that uh adjuncts uh, emulsifiers, head retention things you know uh, you know chemicals that were dumped into beer that shouldn't have right. been there uh, it was it was in the years before the pure food and drug law of 1906, so it wasn't unusual for uh, brewers to uh, to add things to their beer to make it look nicer or prettier or cleaner or clearer. Uh, it's also part of what uh, determined Germany years and years before that with the Reinhardskabat was that uh, they they were trying to avoid the impurities in beer, uh, so they. Whatever judging they were using, focused, I'm sure, on the lack of things that shouldn't be in beer. So they ended up saying, okay, how important you are to the industry, which is just a laughable uh, criteria. Unbelievable. (laughs) And then the chemical (laughs) test. And then did anybody actually taste it to say, like, and judge it on that criteria? Was that part of it at all? No, yeah. Yeah. No, that was was part of it. And um, I, I, Oddly enough, I don't think either of them came out on top in, in taste. Uh, <laughs> Lowenbrow, oddly enough, uh, won an award for their uh, for their lager. Adolf Kors won an award for his beer. So, and, and there was no first, second, and third. If you scored eighty percent or above, you were recognized as an excellent brewer. There was no blue ribbon given out. There was no gold, bronze, or silver medal. If you scored eighty eighty percent or above in the pointing scale. Uh, that was good enough for the judges. I think it was a bronze award that they all were walking away with. That they got an eighty above. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was no no top winner, and uh, that's interesting. And I don't think that was the intention either. Was it was it was not a competition where they were crowning one you know top of the mountain winner. No, no, no. Uh, it appears that that was not their intention. Their intention was simply recognize yeah. the, the the top the top tier industry members. But it was taken a lot more seriously, at least by the participants, which, yes, yes, which yes. kind of speaks to the nature of competition. And that's that's an interesting fact in this is at the uh, towards the end of uh, the judging, Anheuser Busch held a two point lead against Pabst, and they made a huge deal out of this. They they rent they uh, they bought out space in in newspapers, you know, down in St. Louis between there and Chicagoland, saying that we you know. Were the award for the best brewery according to the Chicago World's Fair, and then of course the tables got turned later on. So, so uh, they uh, it was a very competitive tie between Anheuser Busch and Pabst and Schlitz, as the three of them were incredibly close in production, and uh, Anheuser Busch probably more so than uh, than Pabst or the Ulines at Schlitz took this as an opportunity to say they were the best in an attempt to push themselves ahead of the other two. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was why he jumped the gun the way he did. Not only did he take out the ads, but he put a huge plaque in front of their display at the exhibit saying, proclaimed best beer uh, in, in the world. And uh, Anheuser-Busch's Budweiser is indeed the king of beers. Well, sadly, so, he did not get to keep that were they, claim. Were they, <laughs> were they using that term, the king of beers, back in back at the at, the, at that time? He was starting to, to refer to, to, to Budweiser as the king of beers. Okay. okay. So okay. it wasn't because of the World's Fair that where that came from? 
No more so no than Pabst Blue Ribbon. Because, as Jason said, they were the largest. They were the largest. Uh, they were the largest users of, of ribbon in the entire nation. The, yeah, we didn't talk about that here uh, here yet. So let, let's let's set that up. This is really an incredible um, fact in this in this whole story. Is between 1882 and 1893. Pabst was using that that blue ribbon name on its packaging, claiming that it was a big award-winning beer. And because of those claims, Pabst Blue Ribbon was the biggest user of ribbon in the United States, ordering more than 1 million feet of ribbon per year to tie around every single bottle that they put out out into the marketplace. uh, The name was Pabst Select then. They didn't... uh... Switch the name from Select to Blue Ribbon until after oh, yes. until after the uh, 1893 exhibit. It was Pap Select, and they tied the Blue Ribbon around there because it uh, they thought it gave them uh, an eye appeal sitting on shelves or uh, in whatever location it would be. It was uh, appealing to have that Blue Ribbon tied around the uh, around there, and because Pap Select was in fact the beer that uh, yeah was in fact the beer that uh, ended up on top from a score standpoint. Uh, and it was recognized as the blue ribbon being tied around Pap Select. They chose to rename it Pap's Blue Ribbon, even though it was still Pap Select beer in there at the time. They they switched the name because that blue ribbon had become so recognizable. And they, in the battle over the best beer, they uh, they came out on top and well, showed Anheuser Busch who. Uh, and, and, but, I will say, as ahead. someone that majored in public relations and communications, I you know. My, my brain's exploding because like truth in advertising just didn't exist back then it seems like and they just said whatever they far, wanted, far they from it whatever they wanted to you know king of beers blue ribbon i don't schlitz probably said something equally ridiculous and it was and the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, so, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Hey, yeah. And there, there, and, and 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 not not to go down a, a strange track, but there was some reasoning behind that. It was because after the 1871 fire, all but one brewery in the city burned down, and Schlitz sent just trainloads of beer to Chicago because there was no breweries producing beer, and that's why the people in Chicago started referring to Schlitz as the beer that made Milwaukee famous because of all the beer they sent down in the post-fire years to help keep the city. Uh, well quenched while they were rebuilding. So at least there's See, a small, mo- small, mi- small minuscule, <laughs> little bit of basis for their claim. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's funny. So, I, of uh, you know, you know, there was there like I assume there was was there like a twenty point gap between those three and everybody else, or was it more pronounced than that? Is there records of that? Uh, no, no, no. There's and even even the records concerning the final scores and stuff like that. It's taken years for people to dig up because that stuff was all just crumpled up and thrown away. In fact, that's what was insisted by some of the uh, some of the brewers was that the uh, the judges' records did get out into the public at some point in time, and uh, the brewers were objecting to the judges' records being made public. They thought they should have been kept private and only the final score should have been announced. But at some point in time, some of the uh, the judges' scores and their opinions got out in public, and that was when the brewers started showing up back around again. Oh no, no, you're wrong. You're, no, no, you, you didn't hear. Try our beer again. Oh, and by the way, here's a couple cases. Change your score. Just, just, just give us a couple more points there. Uh, it, it, for t- you know, for a, a fair in Chicago, it was typical of Chicago politics. There was a great deal of shenanigans going on. <laughs> so, what, what else would you expect from a fair in Chicago right? except the typical Chicago politics thing? Yep. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, no kidding. Well, and, um, I, I guess I asked that question because, uh, you know, they, they had that ridiculous category of, well, you're popular, so let's give you 20 points off the bat. But if there's only, say, 10 points between, you know, Paps and 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 um, Budweiser and Schlitz and some of their foreign competitors, then arguably those are the better beers if you take that you know, erroneous category out. So I was wondering if any of that had survived to say, to, you know, to look at it with a more modern lens of, okay, what is actually the best beer at the time? So I guess the the thing you would immediately notice is who was affected by that 20 point deduction for what was a commercial viability or, yeah, 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 or yeah. imagery or whatever it was. So it would have been every yeah. other, it would have been every other brewery, but Schlitz passed and, uh, 
and Anheuser-Busch. But that ultimately mm-hmm. is what created the problem that people, uh, that uh, the puffery, uh, because that was a lost fact that in fact they had been given those 20 extra points. It was creating just tons and tons of uh, controversy. Uh, some judges refused to be a part of that. Uh, there was fighting in and amongst the judges eventually. Uh, the whole thing was was ultimately just a sham for, for perhaps to say they won and for Anheuser-Busch to say they won. Despite the fact that there was no winner, all you had to do was get 80% of the total points. And even with 20 points extra for those three, so many breweries hit that 80, 80% mark on the point total that it didn't matter. That 20 points didn't ultimately affect uh, a lot of the brewers who ended up getting recognized for the quality of their beer. Like I said, Lowenbrau out of Germany clearly didn't get the 20 points. Neither did uh, neither did Coors get their 20 points. So, But yet they were still recognized. And they still got recognized? They, yeah, but they still got recognized. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, possible. that tells me that... That tells me that historically those were probably the better beers. Right? Ultimately, the, 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 the judging committee may have gone back on themselves and said, yeah, okay, we're not doing that crap, uh, and, and pulled those 20 points back as well. Uh, a lot of that is just lost to the, to the historical record what ultimately happened. But for Lowenbrow to have gotten an award huh. and for Coors to have gotten an award, um, Labatt, uh, was recognized for their ale and porter out of Canada. Clearly, they didn't get the 20 points, but they all still managed to hit that mark that allowed them to be recognized for their superior brewing quality. Maybe they just... It was just chaos. Uh, it, it dragged on for almost two years after the fair ended before ultimately the, the judges said, okay, we're done well, with the people. <laughs> the, the, fair, the fair commission said, okay, we're, 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 we're done with this crap. We're, we're, we're a year and enough, a half past... Enough is enough. We're, we're a year and, and a half exactly. past the fair ended... We got, we got to move on with our lives. Just, just go do whatever the hell you people want to do. Well, you, you had also, you had talked about the shenanigans and things other than them trying to bribe them with beer. Is there anything else that is reported that happened during that, that, you know, as far as like trying to influence the judges? Uh, they, they all had exhibits there and uh, they were trying to get the judges at one point in time to award points based on the quality of the exhibit even. It's got, it's got no oh, bearing wow. on the quality of your beer. Uh, uh, Anheuser-Busch had a huge exhibit, but the one that stood out in everybody's mind at the time was Pabst. Pabst had a full-size reproduction of their plant that had been done uh, in, in, in cast, uh, I think it was cast iron. Now, and, now that's cool. Let, yeah, 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 let's yeah, not was, take that, that away. Impressive. That is cool. Yeah, 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 it was, yeah, it was, yeah I mean, I, every, every detail was shown yeah. on, on, the, on the buildings themselves. Uh, Northwestern Brewing Company of Chicago... Uh, had a had a a, a single column, uh, corn, like a, a Greek column that stretched almost to the ceiling of the building that had their bottles just wrapped all the way around it uh, with a large outside uh, outside square area where they had uh, had fountains and cherubs and stuff like that. I mean, these people were putting on just huge exhibits to you know as, as puffery, and uh, some of the brewers went, "Oh, our exhibit's way better than theirs. We we should get a few extra points. We, you should be judging on exhibits too, not just on the on on the beer and on that twenty points." And it was just, <laughs> it's just it's wow. so, so it's it's just a a messy competition slash non competition. Yeah. <laughs> wow! And they th- they had impressive. a structure when they walked into this, and they just threw it out the door, and that's why this this delved into just this chaotic mess. Well, it sounds like it, it. It sounds like with all this, the jiggery pokery that was going on, that that wouldn't have helped. You know? <laughs> of course not. Yes, exactly. But it was, it was. It was already. It was a flimsy structure to begin with, and when it started going downhill, it just you know it, it just kept tumbling from there. That's. I mean, that's my take. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, so, it's like two dozen of the nation's nearly two thousand brewers showed up, uh, and uh, basically they rejected. The judges rejected. Uh, all of the rules, uh, unless uh, it was advantageous to Bush, Pabst, or Schlitz. So it was like the judges walked in there going, what the hell with the rest of these small brewers and the rest of the brewers from the rest of the world? It's going to be one of these three because we're America, damn it, and we have the best beer in the world. Well, I think it goes beyond just that because you're talking about breweries that were within 300 miles of Chicago at that point. You know, both Pabst and Schlitz were both, you know, both Wisconsin breweries and then Anheuser-Busch down in St. Louis. So there is a Midwestern pride factor that I think factors into that. 
I can agree with that 100%. Yeah. Well, and, and that, I mean, th- those kind of feelings are true even now. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, you know, being here in the Midwest, I mean, are we partial to Midwestern breweries? Most likely, especially ones that, you know, that the collective four of us are all friends with. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I guess that's, you know, that's just kind of, you know, human nature there. Well, when it comes yeah, to Schwell but, beer, you know, I still love you're my supposed hams. to be an impartial world's fair, you know. And Polly just uh, just a call out to hams, and I think that's very very <laughs> fitting for <laughs> from the last sky blue waters. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Part of the problem was that uh, it was the concern that uh, Pabst, who was making uh, well over a million barrels of beer that at that point in time, maybe a million and a half, even having been the first brewery to cross that threshold, uh, had the same chances of taking home. A, brewer, a metal as a small two-bit brewery from Buffalo, no offense, that was only producing. <laughs> Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. <laughs> Hi, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that was only producing 1,000 barrels a year. Well, how can a brewery that's making only 1,000 barrels of beer a year in Buffalo, New York, be as good as the million-plus barrel a year PAPS plant? Right. And so it, right. it, it, it was a lot of. A lot of that type of thought went into when the judges started doing things. They're like, well, we can't decide. Who's going to care about the brewery and Podunk, wherever? It's better than Paps? No, there's no way. Paps, huge brewery. Schlitz, huge brewery. Yeah. Anna's they, they, they One of those has got to be the winner. Can't be one of those Europeans because we can't let the Europeans walk away with an award at our affair. Right. So there was a lot of, uh, of behind-the-scenes things going on that got lost in time except for whatever might have shown up in newspaper articles in, in the subsequent years. And it still carries over to today because we have this quote unquote blue ribbon award that has, you know, now persevered through Pabst blue ribbons history, you know, for now more than 120 years. Yeah. I, I, and, and I realized that it would be an extremely frivolous use if I got access to this, but if someone gave me a time machine, someone parked a DeLorean in my, in my uh, driveway and said that I could go back to one point in time just for so many reasons the World's Fair that in Chicago would be high on my list. That's an interesting you know, it, choice. Okay. Oh, no, right? I would, take, I, I, would but, take that, I would take that in a heartbeat too. Yeah? yeah. That's, yeah. that's yeah. high That's high on your, on yeah, your yeah, choices? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Just, all, the, all the new stuff that was being introduced at that time you have hh homes you have this nonsense going on you yeah. know just I, the grandeur just the yeah. grandeur of the buildings and the lights and, and the lagoon and everything that went on there yeah it was i'm sure it was for all those people who showed up it was quite the spectacle that's a very very interesting choice and i've never i i'd have to give some thought yeah. to like what would be my like my top two or three to hop in a delorean and and uh exit the car in a in a different uh t- in a specific you know historical event lo- event like that <laughs> i know my thing but it would not be beer related yeah <laughs> woodstock just remember that no no okay no, okay okay probably the... i think i mean i could make an argument for woodstock no i could get that argument yeah. i mean i would love to be a part of that but it would probably be like a a certain time of Grateful Dead history for me then. Ah, okay, okay. okay. A certain tour of a certain Just remember, year in a certain uh, state that okay, that okay. was is known to be really good, so okay. I would have to do that just to okay. experience that at age 44 or whatever. <laughs> whatever the time machine happens, so. Uh, Jason had yeah. asked earlier. Well, uh, and just remember wherever you go to bring enough fuel to get back because we all saw what happens when you don't do that. Because well, you need to generate 1.21 gigawatts of electricity in order to maybe travel through time. Right. Maybe the flux capacitors or whatever. Because they don't have plutonium before the year like 19 whatever. <laughs> okay. John, you were saying? Uh, just to, to cover a couple points because I... I got the books in front of me. At the Centennial Exposition in Philadelphia in 1876, Paps won a gold medal. At the World's Fair in Paris in 1878, they won a gold medal again. And during the 80s, Paps won top awards at American fairs at Atlanta, New Orleans, and Buffalo. So they had a string of awards going on. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, They were rolling into the Clevian Exposition uh, as one of the highest awarded brewers uh, there was around. And... uh, 
And here's a description. At the fair's agriculture building, Pabst displayed a 13-foot square gold-plated model of the Empire Brewery. Wow. So this is, I mean, this. there's so much in this that's just visuals. Because they have all these, all these things to demonstrate. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, they're, uh, I forget... One brewery uh, had a had a miniature operating model of their brewery. I remember reading that's that at a, one point. That's at one point in time, that, that that there was a little miniature operating model of one of the breweries. The were 1890s. they brewing beer in there? No, no, they were not. They were not <laughs> no, actually producing. That's. Beer. <laughs> I was going to say that. That, yeah, that, that, that that'd be right there. Talk about being ahead of your time. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 Forget I, Pico Brew. This, yeah, they got this figured, <laughs> figured out way, way earlier. Uh, yeah, look so, at, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, you're right. They're rolling into the World's Fair with a bunch of awards under their belt. and But, you know, now these days, we in the, you know, Pabst has its diehard fans. But... You know, a lot of the, especially craft beer drinkers, look at it and say, you know, that's not good beer, if I'm going to put it lightly. So the question that I have is, did their formula change to that extent? Did or did the the beer brewing world largely leave them behind over the years? I wonder. Uh, uh, Formulas changed dramatically, uh, especially in the post-Prohibition years. Uh, in mm. the years before Prohibition, it, it probably probably maintained its it, it, the same formula, very little change. Uh, but again, you know, they're always going to get variations based on your ability to get hops and, and the malts are going to change over time. But it was still an all-malt. Yip Select was still an all-malt beer all the way up to that point in time at later Blue Ribbon. Uh, you started seeing a, a larger addition of adjuncts in the, uh, the post prohibition years because America's tastes had degraded so much because they didn't have that. They were forced to drink needle beer or homebrew or bathtub sort of stuff. And so a lot of breweries came back in the years after prohibition uh, claiming uh, same recipe as before prohibition, uh, pre-prohibition recipe, and they discovered the beer was not selling as well and they started weakening the recipes and and adding adjuncts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Hmm. so that probably happened very much to them as well that uh, Blue Ribbon went in that direction, as did Anderson-Busch. I mean, it's more corn and rice now than it's true barley. True, true. So I wonder, you know, I mean, uh, you, you know, I, I wonder if anybody has ever tried to dig up that old recipe, uh, oh, I'm sure it's in the PBR sure prohibition recipe. I'm sure it's in the Pabst archives, yeah. much like the, you know, the original Anheuser, the original Budweiser recipe is in the is in there although the paps archives are now held at the paps mansion in milwaukee uh but the archives were were retained and kept there uh but back to your point about awards uh look how much we chase down fobab winners or gold medal gabf winners now you be able to come out of the largest fair Uh that had ever been and say you were the best beer which surely going to give you a boost in sales to be able to make that claim oh for sure and they, you yeah. know, they they both they both made the claim, but ultimately Paps could back up that that claim of the Blue Ribbon, even though it wasn't awarded a Blue Ribbon, uh, of being judged the best beer at the 1893 Columbian Exposition, because ultimately, when the chemical analysis came back, the scores changed. I there was like a point and a half or two point difference, uh, and it switched to uh, Paps winning by like three fifths of a point or something. It was uh, it was a fraction of a point. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It was just a, a minuscule wow. amount that they ended up winning right. by when the chemical analysis came back. But it still gave them the claim that they used and promptly started to advertise as judge the best beer at the Colombian Exposition. Yeah, amazing. Does them no good. Does, yeah. right. does, yeah. does them no good today because Paps is a hipster beer now. It I is. know, right? But. Uh, <laughs> A little bit, but uh, in in the book uh, I was talking about earlier, they talk about uh, the sales records, and Paps did see bumps in their sales in subsequent years uh, after winning the awards in Philadelphia and, uh, and and Paris and whatnot. The only drop in uh, sales they had during uh, during that period between 1876 and Prohibition, the only drop in sales was during the uh, 1893 period. But that was because we were in a deep, deep economic depression which makes the number of people that showed up the fair even more astronomical when you think about it we had had the, the yeah. panic the panic of 1892 and one year later you have a fair and still these people are all showing up but uh they're only only dropped in sales during that time period was during that panic 
1892 panic, 1892-93 panic, but they weren't the only one that saw a drop in sales. It was uh, it was just because we were in the middle of a, a depression or, or, a, or a panic or yeah. a deep recession. Wow. But yeah, the records wow. indicate that the, the, the result of their awards certainly did help boost their sales in subsequent years ap- after winning whatever award it was. Yeah. Okay, so now no, no, I feel like as homebrewers, we have a responsibility to find that old recipe and <laughs> brew it at a, at a at a homebrew level and see, you know, would this stand up as a blue ribbon first place, you know, gold medal winning beer today? I don't have room in my keyser for five gallons of a PBR beer. PBR clone. I got room. Yeah, right. I got room to store okay. it. Don't okay, worry. Polly does. I, I got room to store it. Don't worry about that. We can make it store it at my place. I got Damn plenty it. of room to store it. I'm trying. <laughs> the question is, will anybody want to drink it? My, I will. My point exactly. <laughs> well, it's a pre-prohibition. You know, PBR beer. <laughs> well, it it does. I mean, this conversation does make me think about historical beer categories, and we've talked about that that on previous uh, episodes. That there is a subcategory of historical beers, um, Kentucky Common being one of them that we've talked about, and there's several other examples. But I do find sure. that as an interesting thing to explore is those categories and mm-hmm. what kind of examples you can find, and also ones that you can experiment with. Several, brewers are always looking for pre-prohibition uh, um, recipes. Recipes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially on the lager side. I mean, there's several brewers that have made and they've, they've called it a pre-prohibition lager. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think they're just going off of historical knowledge and things like that, as opposed to an exact duplication of a particular recipe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. certainly, the recipes do exist for for the larger brewers. The Schlitz, Schlitz archives were trashed, so that's gone. Uh, the Stroh's archives were trashed after the merger with Schlitz. You're, you're literally looking at just only two or three brewers in the country that probably still have those recipes and would have access to them out of their archives. Uh, your best bet would probably be to chase after a European brewery because yeah. the, so many of them had, didn't go through the mergers that the American brewers did and the things of that nature. And it, it's, it's surprising that, but not at the same time, that ultimately it came down to competition of the three American brewers when there was only a few hundred American brewers there, you know there were a bunch of overseas ones that, uh, that like I said, the judges were like, well, it's America. We can't have a European right. win the best beer award. Right. we got to do whatever we can to make this work. Here's 20 points for you, you, and you. Right. <laughs> well, can I segue to something slightly different? So, the... Uh, Please do. Okay, all right. So the structure of this competition was supposed to be color, purity, and flavor before it delved into something completely different. So um, I bring that up because there was a beer that was just poured in front of me um, by our good friend Polly here. And I would like to uh, judge this this beer that's in front of John, me, and, and Polly based on the original criteria that was designed for the Chicago World's Fair. Without taking into into account this ridiculous point about just who's got you know who's got the the uh, the most recognizable brand branding, so that being said, Polly, would you like to introduce what we have here? Uh, we have my very first uh, professional brew, which is a West Coast IPA. It's uh, the first days. I was going for the old classic West Coast style, classic hops. Cascade, Simcoe, Centennial, and Columbus. I want to say Chinook, but... And then I was just going for the old school style. I mean, that classic resiny flavor. I did not use Whirl Flocks, so don't look at it like that, Jason. Uh, (laughs) Although, he did help me brew it, and it took us forever to transfer into the fermenter. (laughs) It did take a long time. (laughs) But still, I'm very happy with this, and it's been a good seller down there, so... So let's talk about this in in terms of the three categories. So color, you absolutely nailed West Coast. Uh-huh. Like I mean, that's it's a nice copper. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice copper color. I mean, you you couldn't criticize the 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 color if you tried. Um, purity, for not using Whirlflock or any kind of clearing agent, um, this is incredibly clear. 
I mean, there's not yeah, yeah, there's no, not an ounce of haze. There's not a there's not an ounce of debris. It's 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 perfect in yeah, that regard. No, it is, yeah, it's really yeah. really clear for not. Uh, well, now you gotta yeah. taste it. I like and it. Shit. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, that's exactly what it says. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, listen. Judging a beer by a category, I'm judging this as a, as a West Coast IPA. This is an this is a straightforward, completely presentable West Coast IPA. Yeah, no, totally. No, it's an excellent job. It's cl- it's clean. I mean, the hop character is very much there. It's very prominent, but mm-hmm. it's exactly what you know what a West Coast IPA is. It's balanced. Yeah, there's it's malt and hop balanced, and that's that's the toughest part in today's mm-hmm. society with the haze boys and everything else is to make a beer. That does not satisfy them, but instead satisfies exactly. the balance that should be in some of those. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it after I try this, because I was a big Haze fan. But after I tried this, like I'm almost, I almost want to see him done with the hot with the Haze craze. Well, I, I think I, I want that bitterness. Like you don't get that bitterness anymore. You know, it's it's a different style. Well, it's not only a different style; it's a different art form. Exactly. It's, I mean, because completely different. Yeah, I mean, I'll first of all, first of all, the brewing process is completely different. Mm-hmm. You you certainly can speak to that. The way the hops are presented is completely different, and the drinking experience is totally different, also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You like when you're drinking a hazy, you don't want that bitterness lingering in the back of your teeth. No, but, no. But like you drink this, it's like I feel like I need a water after this one. Mm-hmm. But no, another one will taste better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this your own recipe? Or, uh... Yes. Okay. This Entirely is a recipe. recipe. Uh, this is actually my very first recipe. The very, I developed it from everything we had in stock. And then Jason actually came down and helped me brew it. And we, we've we had a couple catastrophes. One almost, and then mine was a bigger catastrophe than his. But uh, I I told Jason about this. I didn't tell, you, I didn't tell George and... Uh, John about this like I was yeasted off and I have a little kiddie pool as my trench drain and my hose wasn't going down into the floor drain I opened up the bottom of the valve I shot yeast it hit my my kiddie pool I shot yeast all over my brew house and my wall and I just feel like two Ooh. hours cleaning yeast oh. off of fucking everything <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was almost like that video I sent you the other day, Jason, with that with, wine. With the volcano yeah. on the top. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we may have to present that on on our uh, Facebook and Instagram pages. Oh, you it, do, yeah, you do. It's, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It's, I mean, if you ever had to picture the biggest brewery nightmare you could ever conjure <laughs> up, am I wrong? No. Is there anything no, no, else? No, no, not at all. I mean that is like the only thing I can say is this guy did not use an airlock. Of he course did- not. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh. Yeah, we'll send George. I'll send it to you. You'll see this, and you're gonna lose your shit because I remember sending it to Jason, and he was like, "What the hell happened?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't right. quite f- feel as bad about my almost mishap <laughs> at that point after, after, after seeing this. <laughs> Uh, so Jason and and John, you guys have you know judged his his beers against you know purity, category and taste and everything. But most importantly, how is Polly's exhibit? <laughs> it's got a nice mural. <laughs> well, nice okay, mural? okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got a great mural at my. At, That's at what the I'm yeah, you got a nice mural at the brewery. Yeah, in well, fact, she has a brewery that from eighteen nine, what eighteen hundred something that was uh, in the town. They actually the owners, uh, Steve and Tina, painted a mural of the brewery that was in town on the wall. Well, I, I think what's more attributable to the experience right now is the fact that this is being poured out of a crawler can in yep. front of us, yep. and it's pre- presented by a very nice Route sixty six old school brewing. Uh, label across a 32 ounce crowler um and it's also uh worth saying that the label is on upside down yeah because so. i screwed up when i was labeling <laughs> crowlers today i'm like okay these two crowlers are going with me because the labels are upside down so piss off it's a very very it's a rare can so, so, you want to put that so you, you want to put a, that up on so ebay you get a 10 out of 10 for uh for uh for presentation there, there with go. the uh, with the there upside down label <laughs> Jason, that's just so when you pour the beer, the label will be right side up because you're turning the can over to pour the beer. All right, fair enough. 
Fair enough. So is it is it wrong <laughs> that I've actually figured out? I, I've actually thought about ways before I seem thus said crawler to where you could have the label face out as you're pouring it. Because it's all about when you put this top on your can before you seam it. You put it at the right angle, you could be pouring it with the label coming out. So I, I get where you're what? coming from, Polly. Remember, right. we talked about the how the mug clubs are always facing yeah. the the logo inward when it should be outward. You know, so I get where you're going. I'm actually okay. I'm actually All giving right. Jason a demonstration right now. All right, yeah. All right, I'm 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 coming around on this. I I first was like, okay, no. All right. Well, when I'm, you're I'm, a, I'm when you're there. a small brewery and you're canning one at a time, you could think about this shit. Sure. When you're pumping out cases and cases and cases at a time, it's whatever that the goddamn top lands on the top when it's spinning. You figure it out. Right. So yeah, so I, I will give him twenty right. points for market importance because he is the only brewery in Wilmington. Hey, thank you very much. <laughs> so I will, I will give him those 20 points for market importance because he's the only brewery in Wilmington, Illinois. Well, how about... How, well, let, let's, let's go one, one layer further. I mean, we talk about historical significance, and this brewery is all about Route 66 and old school. Mm-hmm. You know, so who's, who's presenting, you know, just, you know, history yeah, in, in, yeah, a, in yeah. a nice context better than Route 66 yeah, old school brewing in Wilmington, Illinois? Exactly. 20, yeah. 20 points. I... I have 21 <laughs> points. <laughs> Fuck. Throw an extra one. None. See, this is how this judging went completely to shit. Yes, because you get, you get these crazy ideas and then it becomes a rule. Especially after we had a couple of beer or two, it happens. So whatever. Exactly. This this is we're this is we're setting the stage for exactly how this how this judging went completely wrong at the Chicago World's Fair. <laughs> Goddamn judges oh, were man. drinking the beer. That's yeah. what happened. <laughs> so, yeah. now, so now you all know. <laughs> did you did you revive the tradition since we're doing an audio podcast of a quiz? No. Oh, that's a shame. No, okay. there's no no. John? Okay, I, I I can cut this out, but I'm gonna kinda put John on the spot here to see if uh see okay. if there's someone he can uh <laughs> yes, again, <laughs> again, John. We do have a uh, a recurring piece on the uh, on the podcast here, where uh, where we present uh, brewing trivia, where we uh, where we pull out just kind of a historical fun fact, put it in a in a uh, question form, and we ask the uh, the uh, people that's uh, that's here on the on the podcast and see if anybody anybody knows it. So do you have any kind of fun fact that quickly comes to mind without doing too much of a deep dive? Oh, that's an easy one. Okay, all right. Oh, nice. All right. Because we're talking about Pabst Blue Ribbon. Pabst was the first national brewer to put their beer in a can. They initially called it Pabst Export because they didn't want to ruin the Blue Ribbon name. Mm -hmm. And when cans didn't fail, they called it Pabst Blue Ribbon Export. Who was the first brewer to put beer in a can and when? See, my brain went to the first company that put beer in a bottle, and I do know the answer to that question. I don't think it's the same brewery, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull that out. I got nothing. That huh. I'm gonna take okay, George, go ahead, but I'm gonna take a crack at this before the answer comes out. John, that wasn't also Iron City, was it? No. Oh that's no. a okay. that's a good that's a good poll. Um, I gotta guess if he doesn't guess what I guess. The brewery no longer exists. Oh, okay, oh, I'm shit. done. <laughs> it was well, an East Coast. It was an East Coast brewery. Yeah, my my brain was was going to East Coast, and I was probably gonna say. Um, um, I was gonna say Yingling. So yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't Yingling. Yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm not gonna get it. So yeah, what what is it? The Gottlieb Kruger Brewing Company of Newark, New Jersey. Gottlieb Kruger. Gottlieb Kruger Brewing Company of Newark, New Jersey, released beer wow. in a can to the market for the first time in Richmond, Virginia, as a test. Wow. On January twenty fourth, nineteen thirty five. Nineteen thirty five. Anybody out there? Anybody out there in a nice place to brew land got that, you get 
10,000 points. I, I, for <laughs> what, I have no idea, but you get 10,000 points. <laughs> what, what year did they close, uh, close up production? Uh, Gottlieb Kruger uh, eventually was merged into the uh, Falstaff mess. And then when Falstaff went up business in the uh, mid-70s, it, uh, it basically disappeared. Okay, okay. Like I said, it wasn't okay. that long after that. Uh, like I said, by uh, June of that year, Pabst had hopped on the hopped on the cans, becoming the first national brewer to uh, to go. Hey, this is not a bad thing. They didn't shut that brewery down. Let's give this a try. Nice, nice. Huh. Now I think this is a flashback to an older episode because I think we presented this here on Brewing Trivia. Is the um, first brewery to bottle beer. Um, John, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe You're the wrong. answer is Schlitz. No, no, no. Bottled beer stretches way back into the in, in, into the English days. Schlitz was one of the first brewers to use brown bottles. The, okay, that that was okay. That's, that's where I got was. Schlitz yeah. from. Yeah, yes. first brown bottle. Okay, yes, got, yes. It, got it. Schlitz was the first brown bottle. Yeah. Well, and that would have yeah. long predated this uh, the the canning beer, wouldn't it have been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mostly clear bottles. Brown bottles didn't start to come into their own until eighteen nineties, eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties. That's, a, that's about what I thought. Yeah, when uh, yeah, brown bottles came into their own because they found that the brown filtered the lights that protected beer from exactly. becoming Which skunky, skunky. Yep. as it was shipped. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you know in those years you didn't have shipping breweries. It wasn't until the shipping breweries came along that that, that, that they started looking at ways to make the beer better preserved. And again, that goes back to the entire chemical analysis. Right. The preservatives that were put in the beers uh, to help them during the shipping uh, were not necessarily welcomed in the judging. Right. Right. There you go. Yeah, brewing, brewing trivia. All right. More to more to come. <laughs> well, I know I put you. I know I put you on the spot there, John. And thank you, thank you so much for bringing that out and uh, for having just the amazing knowledge base that you have. You can just pull that out so quickly and present that as confidently and as and as well as you just did. Yeah, so it's nice you. that it tied in with Paps too. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Yeah. All right, ready? To close up. I think so. This was a lot of fun. I'm so glad this came together. Yeah, kind of going back to our roots a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And presenting something in an interesting context here with some really knowledgeable people around this. No, this was awesome. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all this uh, all this literature that you've that you brought here and all these facts that we uh, that we've gotten to share. And and Polly for sharing uh, these uh, these very delicious beverages and uh, and if, and for the nice story that we have about this uh, about the the first. Um, First poly beer, start to finish, from Route 66 Old School Brewing in Wilmington, Illinois. And for the first audio podcast that A Nice Place to Brew has done in a long time. Well, we can tease this here. Um, our next audio podcast, we have a topic for. And George, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So in the next audio podcast, you're going to see a conversion as Jason understands the the glorious nature of sour beers and well in and while we're talking he will come around and decide that he actually likes sour beers i take i take more than a slight issue to the term glorious that's being come used in this description side, Jason. no no <laughs> the power the power of but christ are- compels you <laughs> We are going to bring back a uh, a guest from our uh, from our our video podcast that we've been doing, and we're going to discuss sour beers. You know, kind of the different ways they're produced, and what makes a good one, and what makes a bad one. So that'll be the next one that we do. Yes, and if you can't wait until then, um, check out our uh, our webcast, which we do every Thursday on our Facebook and YouTube channel at 6 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you cannot catch us at that time, that is no problem at all. You can go to our YouTube channel under the name A Nice Place to Brew and see all of our past episodes, including the ones that uh, that have recently been completed. We have an archive that goes all the way back to the beginning of the quarantine, so there is plenty of material out there. Our back catalog of our audio podcast is available on all of the audio platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all the places you get your podcast from. 
Uh, we have social media links under the names A Nice Place to Brew and Nice Place to Brew. And we have a website under the name W, or not even under the name, under the website address www.aniceplacetobrew.com. The webcast will be uh, will be out before the um, before the release of this episode. Um, but uh, check out uh, check out our webcast every Thursday. All right, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. We will see you next time. Have a great week, and we close off every show the same way as we raise a glass, and we can do this live now, which I'm so excited about. All right, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, it takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.